That is really true. And, well, I guess I need a mic. I'm not used to it. That is true. It is no secret what God can do, right? I mean, both the songs that Steve sang today had to do with trusting in the Lord during hard times and during difficult times because it really is no secret what God can do. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So if you're using a Bible that you brought with you or a tablet or something, please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We've been on a sermon series dealing with how do we deal with anxiety? How do we deal with worry? How do we deal with these fears? And Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, tell us exactly that. Um, So that's how we deal with it, by going to the Lord in prayer. Four weeks ago, we talked about rejoicing in the Lord always, didn't we? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul the apostle tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, again, I will say rejoice. And then three weeks ago, we talked about let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians 4, verse 6. Just verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but instead pray. Instead of being anxious or worried, go to the Lord in prayer. And then last week, we put it all together at least a little bit with the idea of how to have the peace of God. How to have the peace of God. And today, we really sum up all things. Think on these things. In Philippians 4, 8, the Apostle Paul tells us what to think on. If you're still dealing with worry, if you're still dealing with fear, this is what you have to think on. By the way, this isn't easy, is it? You know, our minds can race to a billion things, and for some reason, we like to focus on the critical and on the negative and on the uh, pessimistic type stuff, don't we? We like to assume negative intentions about people. We like to assume that there's uh, sinfulness involved and things like that. We don't focus on the positive. That's what, God, that's what God's word tells us to do. And if you can't do that, pray. There's a lot that we just cannot change. And we like to meditate on them anyways, don't we? Think about it. If we could control our thinking, we would have a lot of our problems conquered, wouldn't we? If we could control our thinking, we would have a lot of our problems conquered. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever we think about flavors our whole outlook. The human mind always finds an object to fix its attention on. We control the choice of that object. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, he exhorted them to discipline their minds and set their attention on godly things. Notice that word, discipline discipline our minds. By the way, if you got a bulletin, there are fill in the blanks just for fun. And so um, I'll try to tell you where the first few blanks are so you can pull that out. We're going to mainly focus on Philippians 4, 8 today, but let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. We're going to read this whole section. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now verse 8. Notice, Paul's told us to rejoice. Paul's told us to be gentle. He's told us to pray. And now Paul says, finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. So now Paul tells us what to think on. Think on these things. Think on these things. Paul has told them to pray about all things instead of being anxious. By the way, those are two blanks, pray and all. How are we doing with that, by the way? If you, were, if you were to examine your life at the end of a day, and you tried to think about how many times were you praying instead of being anxious, how are you doing? Remember Dr. Phil? I don't watch him much. Maybe some of you do. You know, and he'll say, how's that working for you? Really, seriously, how is that working for you? They call it sanctifying our thinking. To sanctify means to set apart. Set apart our thinking. If I see a candy bar, generally I sanctify it. I set it apart and hide it for myself. I like candy bars, okay? Same thing with ice cream. It's sanctified. It's set apart. Well, when you become a Christian, when you commit your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are sanctified. You are set apart for God. And we are called to set apart our thinking for God. Paul's told them to pray about pray with thanksgiving. How's that working for you, by the way? Sometimes when we think things are really bad and we're, when we're full of anxiety or worry or fear, try to think about what you're thankful for. I used to be a Browns fan. I'm told I'm not supposed to admit that. When, and they ruined many Sundays. So if you're really depressed and upset and angry over a football game, Maybe it's time to make a thankful list. Okay, what can I really be thankful for right now? I'm thankful that I had a TV to watch it on. I'm thankful that I had food to eat while the game was going. I'm thankful that I have a house. I'm thankful for, you know, make a thankful list. You know, Paul has told them that they will have peace from God. And this peace surpasses understanding. That was what we talked about last week. Paul said, rejoice in their Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And then he said, do not be anxious for anything, but in all situations, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then, verse 7, he said, you will have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. But you have to work the order. You have to go back to rejoicing. Do we have reasons to rejoice? I think we do. I know a lot of you are in cars. I can't hear you. Do we have, we have reasons to rejoice. And let me remind you, the Apostle Paul is writing this from some sort of a prison chained to a guard. I don't know about you. I've never been chained to a guard. Never had that experience. I'm not really looking forward to it either. If any of you have, you can tell me what that's like. Paul is riding from a prison, chained to a guard. And the prison was probably some sort of a dungeon prison, you know? Some type of dark, dark, damp basement that you see in movies like Heidi. I just thought about that. I saw it when I was a kid. My parents shouldn't have shown it to me. They're over there. Anyways, you know, it was probably a really dark, damp, musty, terrible place to be in prison. And he's saying, and he's chained to a guard, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. If we think we have it bad, think about what Paul was going through. The people of Philippi, who this is written to, they have been persecuted for their faith. And he tells them to rejoice. Then Paul tells them, let their gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is near. And by the way, let me remind you, 
If we think the Apostle Paul was complaining because he was in prison, he wasn't. In the first chapter of Philippians, he says, don't worry about me. I've been able to make the gospel known to the whole Praetorian Guard. He could have said, look, the people I want to share the gospel with are chained to me. They can't go anywhere. They might be able to hit him or something, but he has every opportunity to share the gospel with them. And by the way, how important is it to us that we share the gospel with other people? The apostle Paul is here in Philippians chapter 1 saying, don't worry about me. I know I'm in prison. I know I'm chained to a guard, but they've been able to hear the gospel through me. So in verse 8, Paul tells them what to fill their minds with. Paul told them to rejoice. Paul told them to be gentle. Paul told them to pray and pray with thanksgiving. But for me, my mind can still just go crazy with thoughts. I live in my mind. So Paul tells us what to fill our minds with. He says to think on what is true. Think on what is true. Now, things that are true are things you can rely on. That would not include the Cleveland Browns, just so you all know, okay? <laughs> things that are true are things that you can rely on. It's not the Steelers either, okay? Things you can rely on. Things that are certain. Examples include the Bible and the truths displayed in God's creation. Dwelling on false or uncertain things can confuse your perspective and get you off course. You know the best thing you can do is meditate on the Word of God. Pick a scripture in the morning and say, every moment that I have free to worry, I'm going to read this scripture. I'm going to think on this scripture. I told you last week, Abigail's had a real hard time getting adjusted to school again. She did turn the corner last week, and hopefully she will tomorrow too. She's had a hard time, so we're trying to impress upon her to, to live out this scripture, but also meditate on the word of God. Look up Isaiah 41.10 later. Great passage to meditate on. Learn Psalm 119.105 or Psalm 119.9-11 or Psalm 42 or Psalm 63. Things that are true. Those are things we're to think on. Paul says to think on what is honorable. What is honorable. These are things that are highly moral honorable and awe-inspiring. Examples include taking the high road or turning the other cheek when tested. Vengeance, retaliation, and resentment make you unworthy. So if you're wondering, how do I think on things that are honorable? It has to be, have moral integrity. If you're thinking about getting back those that hurt you, that's not honorable. If you're thinking about retaliation, that's not honorable. If you're thinking selfishly, that's not honorable. If you're getting angry, that's not honorable. Think on things that are true. Think on what is honorable. Think on what is right. These are things that are proper and just. This, is, this includes our high calling to treat each other righteously and with justice. Taking unfair advantage of a person is wrong. So Paul said, think on what is true. Think on what is honorable. Think on what is right. And now he says, think on what is pure. Think on what is pure. These are things that are clean, unstained, or free from defects. Examples include sexual innocence or motivations that are untouched by worldly influences. Sordid, shabby, or dirty thoughts separate us from God. If you're thinking lustful thoughts, that is not pure. And then he says, think on things that are lovely. Think on what is true. Think on what is honorable. Think on what is right. Think on what is pure. Think on things that are lovely. Things that are, th th these are things that inspire love or are spiritually attractive. Examples include sympathy, patience, forgiveness, and adoration. Hateful or divisive thoughts only destroy. 
The rest of the verse is a summary section. Think on anything that is of good repute. Think on anything that is excellent or worthy of praise. By the way, during this political season, I think this verse is more applicable than ever. There is no reason whatsoever at all for a Christian to meditate and think on the negative and the fearful. We have all of the gifts and joys and privileges of being a son and daughter of God Most High. I shared this story once before. I'll share it again. There was a church. They were counseling an older man who kept dealing with major anger and anxiety. And then they found out he was watching 24-hour news. They got that to turn off. The anxiety and anger went away. Sometimes we are too critical ourselves. We want to judge everyone and everyone in the world. You know what? Paul said in 1 Corinthians verses 9 through 13, you don't judge the world. The world, first and foremost, needs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We ought to expect anyone in the world who does not know Christ to be the dirty, rotten sinners that we are without Christ. Pray for the world. Pray for the world. Share the gospel with the world. By all means, vote as well. But don't get angry. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul talked about taking every thought into captivity, into obedience to Christ. That is what we must do. There's a battle going on. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. We must take every thought into captivity and to obedience to Christ. In Colossians 3, 1, Paul wrote to set our minds on things above. That is what we must do. In Colossians 3, 16 through 17, Paul said, do all things with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is what we must do. We must set apart our thinking. We do this through thinking on the things listed. We do this through rejoicing instead of grumbling. You know, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, do all things without grumbling and complaining. How's that working for you? How's that working for me? Not too well. I'm in the battle just with you. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That is an exhortation inspired by the Lord. You know, Paul told us to be gentle instead of being angry, Philippians 4, 5. Uh, you know, this is how we conquer this. By the way, another thing that we need to do is we need to live out Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2 said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we could test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Romans 12, 1, we're told to make our bodies living sacrifices to the Lord. The problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. We're called to daily put ourselves on the altar before the Lord to make him Lord of our lives. We're called to live out Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says to consider others more important than ourselves. To look out for others' needs before our own. This is how. Now, some people have truly um, mental illness or organic issues causing anxiety and worry and depression. And, it, and, and if there's a pattern, you might need to see a doctor. But for the Christian, these are things we need to focus on. We need to focus on living out these, passage I just, these passages I just mentioned. Meditate on things above. Sanctify our thinking. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Make our bodies living sacrifices. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. Now, let me add, some of you are going to have to do that, and you think, I'm, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. 
Well, this is a lifelong struggle. This is something where every day you have to get up and say, I'm going to meditate on these verses today. I'm going to aim to do this. And I always exhort people, including myself. I preach this stuff to myself first. Prayer journal. Get out a prayer journal and, and, and at the end of a day or the next day, reflect on the previous day. How have you done it with this? Pray about it. And then invite other Christians in your struggles with you. Too often we are trying to conquer sin on our own. We have too much pride. And in pride, we do not want to talk to other believers about what we're going through. The Bible says to share with one another, to suffer together, to rejoice together. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. We need to humbly follow the Lord. John Piper shares the following. The peace of God results in a certain type of thinking and practicing. This does not mean the peace of God was not with you before. The peace of God, when he reigns our hearts, that results in a certain type of thinking. If we have the peace of God, he changes our thinking. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stressed purity of thought. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Heart means the intellect, affections, and the will. Jesus said adultery and other sins begin in the mind. They begin in the mind before an outward act is performed. If a person mentally decides to do evil, although the act is not done because of lack of opportunity, he or she, he or she is still fully responsible for the guilt of that act. Godly thinking helps keep us from sinning. Godly thinking helps keep us from sinning. Let's make some applications. Don't let a disturbing thought upset you. Don't let a disturbing thought upset you. Give it to God in prayer. Give thanks for the opportunity to learn and grow in every situation. Give thanks. Fill your mind with good thoughts. Be proactive in your thought life rather than reactive. Most of us are reactive, aren't we? Be proactive. Fill your mind with good thoughts. Remove things from your life that attempt, that tempt you to think wrong thoughts. You hear that? Remove things from your life that tempt you to think wrong thoughts. You might have to remove something. Do it. We don't want to meditate on wrong thoughts. Chuck Swindoll says, thoughts are the thermostat that regulates what we accomplish in life. You hear that? Thoughts are the thermostat that regulates what we accomplish in life. If I feed my mind upon doubt, disbelief, and discouragement, that is precisely the kind of day my body will experience. Attitude means so much. If I adjust my thermostat forward to thoughts, thoughts that are filled with vision, vitality, and victory, I can count on that kind of day. Thus, you and I become what we think about. Think of your thoughts as a thermostat. The mind is a thought factory, producing thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of thoughts each day. Production in your thought factory is under the charge of two foremen. One is uh, Mr. Triumph. The other is Mr. Defeat. Mr. Triumph specializes in producing reasons why you can face life victoriously, why you can handle what comes your way, why you're more than able to conquer. Mr. Defeat is an expert in the opposite. Mr. Defeat develops reasons why you cannot succeed, why you're inadequate, why you should give up and give in to worry, failure, discouragement, and inferiority. Give a positive signal and Mr. Triumph 
We'll see to it that one encouraging, edifying thought after another floods your minds. But Mr. Defeat is always standing by, awaiting a negative signal, which he would rather call reality or common sense. And when he gets that negative signal, when Mr. Defeat gets that negative signal, he cranks out discouraging, destructive, demoralizing thoughts that will soon have you convinced you can't or won't or shouldn't. Thoughts, positive or negative, grow stronger when fertilized with constant repetition. That may explain why so many who are gloomy and gray stay in that mood and why those who are cheery and enthusiastic continue to be so. Think about it. What kind of performance would your car deliver if every morning before you left for work you scooped up a handful of dirt and put it in your crankcase? The engine would soon be coughing and sputtering. Ultimately, it would refuse to start. The same is true of your life. Thoughts that are narrow, self-destructive, and abrasive produce needless wear and tear on your mental motor. They send you off the road while others drive past. You need only one foreman in your life. You need only one foreman in your mental factory. Mr. Triumph is his name. He is eager to assist you and available to all the members of God's family. His real name is the Holy Spirit, also known as the Helper. If Mr. Defeat is busily engaged as a foreman of your factory, fire your foreman. Fire Mr. Defeat. And hire our foreman. Hire the Holy Spirit. You will be amazed how smoothly the plant will run under his leadership. You know what, though? We're called to live a, re a life with Jesus. You can say that you're going to live this way. You're going to rejoice in the Lord always. You're going to let your gentle spirit be known to all. Uh, you're going to do all things with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presenting your request to all. You're going to think on things that are true and right and pure and lovely and of good repute. You can say you're going to do that. But if you're not living in a relationship with Jesus, it won't work. It just won't work. And by relationship, I don't mean a one-time prayer of salvation. I mean a day-to-day -day life of making Jesus your Lord. How are you at spending time with God every day? Do you get up in the morning and spend time in the Lord's word and spend time in prayer? We need to feed ourselves spiritually. You don't have a relationship with Jesus if you're only in his word on Sunday mornings when you come here. It's not there. You don't have a relationship with a person when you only see them once a week. I mean, you might have to do that if they're in the military or something like that. But you try every way possible to communicate with them, right? We need to be in a relationship with Jesus, a day-to-day -day life of spending time in his word. We nurture our relationship with Jesus by spending time in his word, time in prayer, and time with our church family. You and I, we need that. We also need prayer partners who sharpen us and we pray alongside of. But first and foremost, we do need to commit our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a personal question. Have you come to a point in your life where you have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Some of you might have done that years ago, maybe decades ago. Are you living for Jesus today? Maybe you've fallen away or backslidden. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. 
Some of you, maybe, maybe you've been a believer in Jesus, but you've not, you're not committed to him. You're a believer. You believe Jesus is who he says he, uh, he was and is, but you're not committed to him. You need to commit to him today. You need to commit to make him your Lord and your Savior. Jesus calls us to be followers of him, not fans. I dare say most American Christians are fans. They're not followers of Jesus. We're called to take up our cross every day and follow him. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can come after him, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross and follow. Have you done that? Are you a follower of Jesus? The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We're called to confess we are sinners in need of a savior. Believe in Jesus as the one and only savior. Trust in him and commit to him. If you haven't done that, do it today. You're never promised tomorrow. I want everybody, uh, please bow your heads and close your eyes in a prayerful state. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Are you trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you confessed, believed, trusted, and committed? If you backslidden, I'm going to give a, well, in a moment, I'm going to give a prayer of salvation. And if you need to rededicate your life to Christ, pray this with me. If you need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time, pray the same prayer with me. If you're one of those that, you know, um, you always believe but not committed, pray this prayer with me. You're not saved by the prayer, you're saved by what's in your heart. But the prayer is important. So if you need to rededicate your life to Jesus or commit to him as Lord and Savior, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I'm committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. Today, Lord, I am firmly making the decision to be with you. In order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say, and I am arranging my affairs around you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God desires a relationship with all of us. He wants a relationship with you. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd love to help you. Even if you're a non-believer, it doesn't matter. I would just love to answer any questions you have about Christianity. And if you're a, and if you're a Christian that has doubts, same thing. Talk to me. I'd love to help you. Everybody, Steve and the praise team up uh, to lead us out in the closing song and prayer. And by the way, I'm very grateful for all those that came together to help with this outdoor worship service today. Steve and Billy and Joyce and Megan and Elaine and... Um, and, and Sam was helping set up earlier, and Craig was, and Kevin helped with the planning, as, as did Nick Gavolis, and, and just many others. I'm probably missing some. I'm grateful for the help. I'm also grateful for Ray and Deborah and their family and men of faith with this baptistry. Uh, please remember to turn in those cards asking for your information as you leave uh, the place. So I'll turn it over now. Amen. We're going to conclude with the, uh, the first two verses of In the Gardens.